Welcome to Books in the Freezer, a podcast dedicated to the deliciously disturbing world of horror fiction. I'm your host, Stephanie, and today I am joined by author Josh Winning to talk about Burn the Negative and horror books featuring cursed objects. So welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. I'm like the biggest fan of your podcast, so I'm just like thrilled to be here. Oh my gosh, thank you so much. Well, we we had a thing we did over at Tales of Point Horror. Yeah, the film the film club. And we talked about the Blair Witch Project and you gave us quite a fright. Oh yeah. <laughs> I yeah, I I felt like you kind of had someone had to do it. So I I <laughs> stepped I stepped up to the mark and I did a little prank. <laughs> I'm glad to see that you're okay. The Blair Witch I'm fine. didn't get you. Yeah. I made it out of the woods. Okay. It was fun. I loved doing that chat. And yeah, that one was a really, really fun one because that film is so iconic. The Blair Witch Project, oh so gosh. iconic. 1999, it's sort of like feels like a lifetime ago and yet it's still so effective. Um, so yeah, that was super fun to talk about. It was. I rewatched it when we did that and I could not believe how many parts of it still scared me. I mean, I love found footage as it is, but even just the the locals just talking about the local lore and legends just really got under my skin it was like Ugh. it's so effective yeah and um it's sort of like it really is of another time in the sense that they just couldn't get out of their iphones and navigate their way out a, a paper map and once the map was gone they were completely fucked which is terrifying especially for us yeah. in the present day with all our phones it was such a film for its time because it was like the last time you could make a movie without people having that technology to rely on. And then the marketing and the way that they were able to push the narrative that the actors had disappeared. Like there's no other point in time where you could do that. Like they still took advantage of what Internet was there, but yeah. there wasn't enough to like really research into it. Like it was just like it came at the perfect time. <laughs> Yeah, it really did. Absolutely. But you released a book called Burn the Negative. So tell us a bit about that. Um, okay, I'm going to lead with the cursed object because that's what we're here for. Uh, the cursed object in Burn the Negative is a film called The Guest House, which is a 1993 horror movie about a cursed guest house, which is haunted by a figure known as the Needleman who is kind of like a Babadook, Freddy Krueger, Count Olaf-style boogeyman um, who kills people in creative ways. He very much keeps in the shadows this kind of spectral, spooky figure. And within the story of the film, he um, he kind of talks to seven-year-old Polly Tremaine, who is the daughter of the owner of the guest house, and she predicts how people in the guest house are going to die by using this little paper fortune teller that she has. So that's like the fake film within the book. And uh, within the narrative of the book, the film became uh, like a cult hit because pretty much everybody involved in the film died in ways that really spookily mirrored what actually happens in the film itself. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, one of the only survivors was the star, um, seven-year-old Polly Tremaine. Sorry, I've got the names completely mixed up. The, the girl in the film is called Tammy Manners. She's played by Polly Tremaine. And she may have escaped this curse, you know, supposed curse, 
because you know maybe it's not real also her family uprooted from hollywood moved over to england started a new life she changed her name she changed her appearance she grew up completely out of the spotlight but still with this um this you know this supposed curse hanging over her Mm -hmm. and all these people that she knew from the movie industry who died so she's now so this is getting very (laughs) long-winded there's a lot of backstory (laughs) to all this (laughs) um but she's now a a grown-up she's a journalist 30 year old journalist she's named laura warren and um she writes for uh like an entertainment magazine called zeppelin and she is sent by her boss to los angeles uh, it's her first time back there in 30 years. She didn't want to go. She's basically been forced to go. And she's been sent to visit the set of the new horror streaming series called It Feeds. And on the way there, she discovers that It Feeds is actually a remake of The Guest House. And when she arrives, people start to die all over again. It's kind of like a Russian doll type story, like a curse within a curse, like... Is there a curse? Is there not a curse? Is Laura the one who's cursed or is it the film? Um, So yeah, hopefully it's like a fun, twisty, sort of self-aware mystery. I had so much fun with it. I think there's a lot for readers to grab onto. And I love the, the story within the story, but also the interstitial articles and like coverage and blog posts about this like movie like if this movie existed this is how people would write about it these are the articles you would see on these are the reddit posts you would see and like where are they now and i i felt like it was really a book for horror lovers in a lot of way horror movie fans i think especially as they're getting through certain parts where they're like in cursed object movies like you do you're trying to figure out what it is and like trying to figure out like is there a pattern what's going on here and it kind of felt like a randy in scream 2 moment when it's like this is a remake the rules are different (laughs) (laughs) yes exactly yeah i i love scream scream is like my turning turning point moment in my life i think where i was young enough for it to just completely imprint on me um as this sort of like really cool scary self-aware film about films and film that sort of dissected films and I think the sequels just took that idea and ran with it you know Scream 2 I love that they have the universe of Stab that they introduce which is the film within Mm -hmm. the film um and I've always loved that kind of meta type of storytelling like I think it's I think it goes back to like the never ending story where that's a story about a story very uh sort of deep and meaningful and, and sort of like philosophically emotionally rich but it's for kids and it's mm-hmm. really quite grown up in what it's saying and what it's doing so so yeah with like with burn the negative I I did want to essentially do like a bit of a scream in the sense of it it's for horror fans by a horror fan we I know yeah. I know what you've watched last summer, you know, that kind of thing. (laughs) (laughs) And to have fun with it. Yeah. And it, it definitely was. Uh, I wanted to ask how it felt to write a character in your line of work. Yeah, it was, um, it was like really liberating and kind of therapeutic because I could say a lot of the things I wanted to say and just like, I didn't say it. Laura said it. (laughs) Um. <laughs> just an, it's a simple observation that she oh, made yeah. that no I judgment. maybe have thought to myself a few times 
Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I definitely thought about the things that, because Laura is, because of her background and, and what happened to her, um, and this fact that she's like denying the curse, she's denying her, her previous identity, she's become quite a cynical kind of person. Um, so I was kind of thinking about things that really annoyed me about magazine journalism or about the film industry um, or the yeah. way that those two things intersect um, and amplified those for Laura to experience. And so that kind of, I could sneak in my own little observations about yeah. the journalism industry. And um, like when I talk about how everything's really done really last minute, you know, Laura hasn't even read the press release when she got on the plane because it was sent like yeah. 10 minutes beforehand, that kind of thing that is quite irritating as a journalist. Oh, so that's true to life. Oh, completely. Yeah, everything oh is so God. last minute. Like you might get offered, um, so you might get your editor emailing you and saying, you know, there's a trip to LA in a couple of weeks time, do you fancy it? And you obviously say, um, yes, please, thank you very much. I'd love to do that. But then you might not hear anything for like another week or two. And you're thinking, is this going to happen? Um, and you're just expected to like go with it yeah. and they say, here's your, here's your itinerary. Go yeah, for it. yeah. Yeah, and sometimes you get an itinerary for the trip, and sometimes you don't, and you kind of get it when you arrive. But yeah, I don't, I don't want to like rag too much. <laughs> Everyone's overworked, and it is a very busy, stressful uh, environment. But there are things like that I've experienced a lot, <laughs> and I'm sure you brought that experience into writing the the articles too. Yeah, I I'd done that on my previous book, The Shadow Glass, which is um, sort of a love letter to 80s fantasy films. And um, when I was writing that book, that's when I started to play around with this idea of doing found documents. Um, mm -hmm. And I think it was partly inspired by Paul Tremblay's book, A Head Full of Ghosts, because that oh, yeah. book has these... Just, I, I dream of being able to write as well as Paul Tremblay, like those those interstitials that he has that are blog posts that are sort of mm -hmm. analyzing um it's been a while since i read it but is it analyzing the tv series yeah that investigated the suppo yeah. supposed possession um mm -hmm. they were i think i even put in my notes for shadow glass write articles that are like head full of ghosts <laughs> um, so i'm not doing anything original it's all paul tremblay's fault um <laughs> But it turned out like to be a really fun exercise. At first it was yeah. like kind of, at first I thought it would be freeing because I could just make up whatever I wanted. But then I kind of realized sometimes it's easier when you have an actor or a director giving you quotes that you can turn into an article rather than actually coming up the quotes completely yourself. <laughs> oh, that's true. Yeah. yeah. I mean, as a reader, I always think those are really fun and really ground you in the setting of the world. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like it, it hopefully makes you not only does it sort of info dump in a way that's fun rather than yeah. weighing down the chapters themselves. It kind of it also makes you feel like you have observed this cultural moment yourself through all the media that yeah. you do actually um sort of ab absorb or eat or whatever. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Take words fail idea. me sometimes <laughs> yeah. well as someone who works in the entertainment industry what do you think about it makes for a good cursed 
<laughs> object, just cursed story. Uh, there are so many reasons. Uh, <laughs> I think Hollywood itself is fascinating because it's sort of, it plays by its own rules. It has its own logic, its own mythology. You can almost believe that everybody in Hollywood already believes in curses. Like I'm thinking about things like when a movie flops, the star mm-hmm. becomes often the 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 they're held responsible. They become exiled mm-hmm. or they become um, sort of like don't touch them. You know, everything they touch turns to sand. Somehow they're the reason the film bombed, rather than the hundreds of other people that were involved in the making of the film. And then when a film is a hit, the star is like the next messiah. Like they literally can take a, a project from development hell to greenlit within a day. So there's like a, a funny sort of, um, yeah. you know, I don't know, wonky bonkers thing that happens in Hollywood where everyone sort of believes in this intangible force that is somehow working in and around them anyway and then if you add a a curse narrative on top of that it just sort of like feels like a natural extension of what's happening anyway (laughs) hollywood has its own kind of superstitiousness yeah yeah exactly and i I can't i was talking to um i was on talking scared podcast um and he asked me if there were any superstitions that i'd noticed on set and i couldn't actually remember any which is really annoying because i i'm sure there are loads um but yeah it's like this 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 whole industry built around storytelling this whole industry that is Mm -hmm. obsessed with finding the next great story or the next big hook like it's a monster movie but you've got to be really quiet or the monster will get you or like it's jaws but it's in space you know all those great (laughs) things um but it's also really cutthroat as well yeah so there's that lovely creative side but there's also that paranoia inducing um savagery to it as well yeah it's a pretty merciless industry yeah yeah you're you're either hot shit or you're dog shit (laughs) there's very little in between well how do you think you'd react if you came across a cursed object or you found out you were in possession of a cursed object that's a really good question because funnily enough we have a potential cursed object in our house right now no oh my gosh what it's um, we moved into our into our house about seven months ago and um we noticed that underneath the stairs there's like a weird little alcove that sort of is it's underneath the first two steps it's like almost like an unfinished bit of cupboard but it's not part of the actual cupboard under the stairs it's like a weird alcove Mm. that serves no purpose whatsoever except for sometimes the cat goes in there to sort of be spooky or whatever even before we moved in when we first looked around the house we noticed that there was a child's shoe in that hole under the stairs it's like a pink ominous yeah like a pink sort of sandal you know those ones that you can buy plastic um like models of flowers or dinosaurs or whatever and stick them in the shoe like a jelly shoe mm-hmm. it's one of yeah. those and it's under the stairs, and every once in a while, me and my boyfriend sort of look at it. <laughs> and neither of us are really you superstitious. You haven't moved it? You just leave it? No, neither of us are superstitious, but neither of us have, have moved it. <laughs> so, <laughs> he said to me the other day, have you moved the shoe? Because the shoe had moved. 
And I was like, I haven't, I'm not going near. I haven't no. touched it. So even though we don't really believe maybe, in that stuff. Maybe it was the cat. It was definitely the cat. That's what I'm telling myself to be able to sleep at night. Yeah. <laughs> it was definitely the cat. Yeah, it has to be. It has to be. Well, it kind of made me think about what it, what makes that kind of thing scary. It's like, it's just a shoe. It's just a shoe under the stairs. I think probably what we'll maybe discover as, we, as we're talking about specific cursed objects in, in books and movies and stuff is that it's more about what those objects say about people, maybe like the mystery of who the owner was and why the shoe was put there. And it's like that one shoe can come to represent mm. so much horror and pain that a real person could have endured, hopefully yeah. didn't endure. Yeah. But there's that fear, like that self-preservation thing where you go, if I don't touch it, I'm not going to experience that same horror and pain that that person may have experienced. And it's also, yeah, like, why just one? Where is, its, one? Where is its pair? Yeah. Is there How someone walking end? around with one shoe? Like a little ghost child wearing one shoe, just crying? And she's not going to be happy until she has her other shoe. That's her oh, unfinished no. business. <laughs> <laughs> there is a presence. She's haunting the walls. She's haunting the walls <laughs> asking for her shoe. No. The thing is, this house is over 130 years old. So. Oh, wow. It's just a matter of time. If you hear any uneven, like, thwack, thwack. (laughs) (laughs) We heard some creepy noises in the chimney, but we think it was just stuff falling down the chimney. But you you don't don't know. It's true, you don't. (laughs) (laughs) Well, should we talk about some movies that feature cursed objects? Yes. Yes. There are so many. There are. When you start to think about it, it's like there are like massively disproportionately amount of films about cursed stuff than there are books i think it's like a weird phenomenon in in hollywood well yeah because there's the whole well there's the whole annabelle franchise within the like conjuring universe and that's like three ish movies right there and then i guess whenever it connects to other things i'm not a big conjuring universe head i've seen all the annabelle movies i think creation was my favorite I was going to say which one's your favorite. That is yeah. mine too. Good. <laughs> it's so good. Because that was the guy who did Lights Out, I think, David F. Sandberg. And he's he's like really good. I really like him. It was very different um, to, I guess, the lore that was established in the first Annabelle. Right? Yeah. Like it was a, a very different story and it went a completely different way with it. But I, I really liked it and I thought it was very effective. And then I think it's Annabelle Comes Home. And then I think the original Annabelle is the bottom. Yeah. That's my reason. Yeah, I actually, I haven't seen Annabelle Comes Home because I feel like, some I don't know, I, I'm interested to watch it, but sometimes when a film peaks or a franchise feels like it peaks, I'm a bit like, oh, I'm, I've seen the best version of this. I'm kind of, I'm done. <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong. Yeah. You're not, watching Annabelle Comes Home is not changing anything. <laughs> <laughs> there was one uh, that I saw just this last week that I loved. Um, and I keep wanting to call it Talk to the Hand, but it's not called Talk to the Hand. It's called Talk to Me. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, all the promos and stuff, it's the big hand. So. <laughs> yeah. It's got 90s attitude. It really has. Have you seen it? I haven't yet. I've heard such good yeah. things, though. I loved it. I love It's a great cursed object. It's like the mythology of it. It's um, like a, a dead 
medium's psychic medium's hand that has been encased in sort of porcelain and if you touch it you can see the dead and the dead can talk through you yeah i know i saw the the trailer where it looks like it's a a teen party and they're like daring each other to like hold the hand i absolutely would not like i don't consider myself superstitious but i feel like i'm just like cautious (laughs) yeah you're you're um would you would you hold it no (laughs) (laughs) well now you've seen the movie you know how how it goes for them (laughs) yeah yeah i think it's a really creepy looking hand so you don't want to go near that even like the worst high school peer pressure i don't know that i would (laughs) no i did a ouija 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 board when i was sort of 10 maybe but it wasn't like a real it wasn't like a proper i forgot what the the real name for it is but i think we just drew it on a bit of paper because you can kind of make your own ouija board yeah and um i remember that i asked the spirits the name of my dead cat who had passed away a couple of years ago and it started to spell the name out and i really i went like (laughs) white like completely freaked out uh but one of my best friend at the time was also playing so i think he mm. knew that name <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's a possibility yeah yeah i still know him i really should ask him if he remembers pushing the glass it's a confrontation that needs to happen we need to <laughs> yeah. i rewatched the ring for this episode and i forgot how much i love that movie i think that's one of my favorite remakes yeah it's really it's good. Tier. Yeah, I think that the Japanese original is fantastic, mm-hmm. but it can be it can feel a bit like dry if that makes sense. Yes. Yes. But I think the remake really amps it up and makes it like gothic in the best way. Yeah, it does. And I think it really benefits from that moody 2000s like blue green filter that we put on everything <laughs> at that time. <laughs> it just really fits that aesthetic. Yeah. That's the Matrix. I feel like the Matrix came along and everyone. It was that the first one. <laughs> yeah, I swear it was. It's everywhere. Like the Saw movies, like the first few are like all blue green. Um, yeah. I was just talking to Nat. Midnight Meat Train is like that blue green. Like it was just how we viewed. <laughs> yeah, that was horror. Time. Even like X Men yeah. did it as well. Yeah. It got everywhere. Yeah, it's like. Um, I have not gone on with other the other movies in the Ring franchise. Have you? I saw. I watched all three of the Japanese version, Japanese Ringu, in at university. So that's like years ago now. And I liked um, Ring Two um, because I I think that like there's a tradition of having a sequel set in a hospital. So I quite enjoyed that they did that. But then Ring <laughs> Zero Birthday is the prequel. And I just found that okay. really boring. I could, I'm, I'm not sure if I even finished it. Okay. Yeah, it's like all, all about Sadako's um, origin. And I was just, I didn't oh, need it. Not into it. No. One that I watched for this episode was In Fabric. It was an A24 movie. I've never seen that. It's about a cursed dress. Ah. Yeah. It's like a red dress. And you're following like these different women that have it and how it like ruins their lives. Ooh, was it good? It was good. It was very weird. Like there were several times I was watching it like, what? <laughs> what is happening right now? 
but i don't know it's it's a24 so it has that artsy style uh but it is a little slower of a burn and it gets odd like there's just like odd interactions where you're like what uh like sort of art housey conversations (laughs) does the dress like what does it do is it strangle them or is it just bad bad luck befalls them both like some i think gwendolyn christie gets strangled by the by the dress but then like someone gets like bit by a dog while wearing it like it causes a car accident (laughs) it's just like a real evil dress yeah i think i prefer it if it just if it was just the dress killing killing them like strangling them or like i think that's probably i don't know i've not seen it so i can't i can't talk about it (laughs) Uh, have you seen drag me to hell i haven't so what is the cursed object in that i i started it and then i got distracted no i didn't oh my god go back to it It, it's one of my absolute favorites yeah um and like if i if i tell you what the cursed object is it doesn't sound that scary because it's a button i just told i just told you about a cursed red dress (laughs) yeah that's true (laughs) um but it's a button and the the premise is that um uh, yeah like it comes off her coat interesting okay yeah it's actually it does work really well by the end of the film you are terrified of this button (laughs) um (laughs) but it's um oh i can never remember her name i love her it's not is it alison pill no i always get them confused anyway there's a the main character she's um like a bank a loan advisor in a bank and she's trying to get a promotion so she's trying to impress her boss and then a um a romani woman comes into the bank asking for a loan and in order to prove to her boss that she has some grit she turns um, mrs garnish down and mrs garnish curses her she rips the button off her coat and she curses her and it's very spooky um and then she it's, it's a bit like ring i think where she kind of has a set amount of time before she gets dragged to hell by the button <laughs> that sounds good yeah. I know like that's one people talk about all the time, so I need to just yeah watch it. Um I mean tangential to that, there's also like the Evil Dead Yes franchise with the same book. director. Yep. Sam Sam Raimi, yeah. Yeah, totally. He's he loves a, a He loves a cursed object. Yeah. He's quite good on like quirky sort of tongue in cheek comedy horror. And I think maybe mm-hmm. cursed objects lend themselves quite well to that because there is that whole sense of sort of oh don't be so stupid (laughs) you know it's not cursed it's just a button (laughs) so it's a lot of franchise potential i'm looking at our list and all of these have spawned several it's like you have hellraiser with the lament configuration you have the annabelle franchise the ring franchise the evil dead franchise child's play wishmaster it's kind of like that lamp that he comes out of right like that's a whole nother thing (laughs) Yeah, totally. I think that's why um, that's why Talk to Me really impressed me because it introduced a new, really iconic cursed object that had such franchise potential to it, um, which yeah. is quite it's a- difficult to do. But when they do it, it r- look at it go. Also, Oculus, the mirror. I still haven't seen that. And I don't know why. There's a spooky mirror. Really, it is, and it's about to be. 
sold. It's like this antique and this brother and sister, like this mirror was like their downfall. It is the reason her brother was in jail. Like their parents died. So they have like beef with this mirror. She wants to like (laughs) set things right. (laughs) She wants to get it on camera and like prove that her brother was innocent and prove that it's like this mirror that did it. But it like Mm. distorts your reality and it like outsmarts the technology. It's creepy. Mm. That's the film where it was before Mike Flanagan became Mike Flanagan, wasn't it? It was like Mm -hmm. one of his first films. Yeah, it was an early one for him. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it looks really cool. And it's got Karen Gillan in it, hasn't it? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And she's great. I love her. Um, So, yeah, well, I will. I will definitely watch that. We don't really have many mirrors in our house, so maybe that's a safe one to watch. <laughs> <laughs> You'll be side-eyeing like your bathroom mirror. Oh, yeah. Oh, actually, there's a lot of mirrors in the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have any other movies to mention? We didn't talk about um, Dorian Gray, but we could. I don't know if you wanted to talk about that oh, yeah. or after the books. Yeah, I really love Dorian Gray. Um, I haven't read the book in a while. I, I tried to read it in time for this, but I just ran out of time. Um, but I love the book and I really liked the film with um, Ben Barnes as well from 2009. I thought he was great because he, I loved that they actually made him kind of bisexual in it. You know, it wasn't just he was going after women. You know, obviously the book was written by um, Oscar Wilde. So he's got a massive sort of uh, queer He's got queerness running through his stories. So I loved that the film didn't shy away from that is, you know, that gets a massive tick from me. I don't think I've seen that adaptation. Yeah, I thought thought it was solid. This episode is brought to you by Fangoria, the world's best horror and cult film magazine since 1979. Listeners can use code Books in the Freezer to get 20% off their order. That includes, of course, merchandise and first time subscriptions and single issues of the magazine. Not only are there tons of articles and interviews about upcoming horror movies, there's a regular segment by Stephen Graham Jones all about slashers called Slasher Nation. So you're going to want a copy. So again, that is code Books in the Freezer. And thank you, Fangoria, for supporting the show. Are we ready to talk about some books? Let's do it. I am starting off with Gothic by Philip Fricassi. I think this came out this year, uh, but this is a haunted desk, a cursed writing desk. I love it. <laughs> Tell me more. Uh, sure. This is about, a. I wrote washed up writer and I feel like that seems mean now. Oh, but this is kind of like <laughs> Stephen King-esque writer who you know had really big success as a horror writer and has not been able to get that success recently but you know they're still like well regarded they still have like a great reputation he's gifted an antique writing desk by his girlfriend and what he doesn't know is that across the ocean there's a mysterious woman who will do whatever it takes to get her hands on that artifact her family has been searching for it for generations but the desk is making Tyson act odd, even violent. And the new stuff he's writing is dark and disturbing. But his publisher is thrilled. And Tyson <laughs> yeah. likes all the success and he'll do 
anything to hold on to it. Anything. That sounds good. I love that. So the desk is like influencing his writing. It does. There was also some like really wild moments of body horror where the desk uh, acts out. Oh, okay. <laughs> people that are trying the people that are trying to stop it and i know that sounds wild me saying that but i was like oh okay i mentioned this was released this year but the feel of this book is very vintage like pulpy horror story it had like that kind of a feel like if i would have read it and you told me this book was published in like the 70s 80s i would have believed you like aside That's from cool. technology being mentioned um but it was pretty fun like I said, pretty effective, like horrifying scenes. And then like the the stuff he's writing and how it's influencing him and like ruining his life and breaking down his relationships. And you also have like the lore of like what this desk was and where it came from and why this woman is searching for it. Um, so that was a good time to read about a haunted desk. Yeah. And the book is called Gothic. And that is by Philip Fricassi. It sounds so good. I love that. I love the... Um... I think the most effective horror stories take something that's really familiar, like something that everyone has in their house and then mm-hmm. tr- makes it scary. And like, can you imagine how many people have a desk in their house and they'll be sitting there reading yeah. the book, looking at that desk in a way that they've never looked at a desk before. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sitting at a desk right now. <laughs> I know, I'm like, funny you should mention that. I yeah, have yeah. One right now. <laughs> what if the drawer just suddenly opened and sort of you know <laughs> lured your hat i don't know lured your, what happens in the book <laughs> yeah. it has like carvings in it and all kinds of stuff oh. my first pick is uh it's called the perfume by caroline b cooney and it's you guys, you guys had these, but I think maybe you called them point, but we in the UK call them point horror. Is that right? Okay, yeah. So it's a point horror. So it's a book for teens from 1992. Um, and so Caroline B. Cooney, she wrote some of the more ambiguous and kind of poetic point horror books. Um, really? I yeah. only know her from The Face on the Milk Carton, and I was obsessed with those books. So tell me everything. Oh. Right now. Okay, I I want to hear about that because I don't know about that. So, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, her emphasis is sort of more on atmosphere and less on plot. At least in the point horror books that I've read of hers, like uh, the cheerleader. Um, she did like a, a vampire trilogy. There was the cheerleader was book two. Um, the vampire's promise was the first one. Um, and I remember feeling as a teenager like I was reading something really grown up because. They were just so creepy and they didn't sort of, um, they didn't really specify really explicitly exactly what was happening. It was more about the atmosphere and what you thought was happening. Um, but the perfume, I just love how 90s it is. It's just uh, like the, the the plot is that Dove, she's called Dove, um, which to begin with is just fantastic. She's just sort of like your average teenager. She's not particularly cool. She's a bit shy and gray. Um, you know, she's got a couple of friends. Her parents are super busy, always working. Uh, she lives in a condo that's just like really, um, you know, it's like a really boring, bland kind of version of America. But her friends drag her to this shop at the mall called Dry Ice, 
does it get more 90s than dry ice? Um, and it's a it's a perfume shop. And Dove hates perfume, but her friends can't just keep going on about this perfume called Venom, which apparently is just like the most amazing smell ever. And uh, Dove smells it, loves it, or just kind of ends up buying it. But it, it w- awakens this voice in her head that calls itself Wing. Because, uh, mm. you know, Dove, Wing. And <laughs> um, it's it's never really clear, but it's kind of suggested that either... So Wing basically tries to ruin her life from the inside. Um, but it's never really clear if Wing is... You know that, I've forgotten what the medical term is, but when you have a, a twin in utero, but the twin gets absorbed into one of the other twins. <laughs> um, there's a term for it. a medical term for that. Okay. But I'm, I'm well, aware of the phenomenon. <laughs> okay, cool. Well, apparently this happened to Dove um, and she absorbed okay. her twin in the womb. And so there's a suggestion that Wing is actually this twin's finally getting freedom and she takes over Dove's body and all that kind of stuff. But there's also a suggestion that it may be like an ancient evil, like the perfume bottle is cursed, the smell of it is cursed. Um, It summons like an ancient Egyptian phantom. Uh, There's lots of pyramid imagery in the book, particularly at the mall. Um, And it's never really made clear what it is. It's kind of left up to the reader to decide. And um, But the thing that I just love about it I don't know if you experienced this as well, but I feel like it was a kind of a global phenomenon. But just the idea of perfume in the 90s and how it was so hip and cool to smell like a pop star. You know, like there was Britney Spears had a perfume. I used to wear Paris Hilton. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> of all Dying the people. <laughs> And did you enjoy it? <laughs> I did. I loved it. It's a very nostalgic smell for me. <laughs> but yeah, that was the heyday of like the celebrity perfume line. It's so funny because it's like of all the things that you could envy or admire about a celebrity, like with Britney, it could be her voice, it could be her hair, it could be her abs, it could be the way that she dances with a snake. But do you actually want to smell like her? And does she... Does she wear her own perfume? Like, does she actually smell like Britney or does she smell like, you know, number five or Calvin Klein? You know, it's just, just, yeah, it's intriguing to me. And it's kind of, I think they still do it. Like, it's Kardashian perfume, surely. I was just at Sephora and I saw like Ariana Grande perfume and I had the thought, I'm like, oh, are we still doing this? Yeah. Are we still doing like celebrity perfumes? I didn't know that. It's so retro. Oh, but I was telling you the the face on the milk carton book. Oh yes, they were. Um, I read them when I was like eleven, but it's about this girl, and um, one day she sees the missing child listing on the milk carton, and it's her, Ooh. and she starts to think that her family now took her when she was a child. Oh my god. That's, that's a great idea. <laughs> and so that's the, that's the whole series is about that. At least the first one. I know there's more and I don't remember what the sequels get into as much, but that's definitely what the first one is about. Yeah, that sounds great. That's But that sounds really different to her, um, her yeah. porn books. It sounds like it. 
Yeah, she's like, that like, sounds more like ambiguity. Babysitter Club meets Nancy Drew. Yeah, and I mean, I was eleven, so it's kind of yeah. That I was, no, I was that's great. <laughs> yeah, 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 totally. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I forgot to rate Gothic, um, but I would put it in the fridge. There's some, some. Uh, like I mentioned, horrifying, gnarly scenes of body horror. Uh, yeah. What would you rate perfume? I think it doesn't even need to go in the fridge. I think it co- it can quite happily sit, you know, out in the air. It's, it's like basically like a, a very safe point horror version of the Brady Bunch movie. You know how Jan <laughs> hears her voice talking to her, like, don't do that, Jan, that kind of stuff. Like that, <laughs> this book has a lot of thinking wing thinking at dove dove thinking at wing um and then kind of threats not really being carried out so yeah it's 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 definitely a room temperature kind of job all right well my next pick is also a release from this year okay i had mentioned before that 2023 was the year of the vampire but i think also a lot of really good like cursed object stories so you have Burn the Negative, you have Gothic, Silver Nitrate, Cynthia Palaios, The Shoemaker's Magician, Schrader's Cord, which is still on my shelf to read. But like, wow. It's, this is a it's so funny time. how that happens. Yeah. It's almost like a cursed uh, <laughs> book moment. I love it. Yeah. Uh, so my next pick is Silver Nitrate by Silvia Moreno-Garcia. And we are talking about cursed I put cursed film reel, but I don't know if that's different from like silver nitrate, if that's like the terminology I should be using. It's cursed silver nitrate. Uh, But this is about Montserrat, who is a talented sound editor in Mexico City. Her friend and longtime crush tells her his new neighbor or his neighbor in his new apartment is a cult horror director. And they meet up with him and this cult director tells them that he has silver nitrate that's cursed by a Nazi occultist. He believes the reason for the curse is that the film was never finished. So Montserrat and Tristan help him finish the movie. They decide to help, but they notice they are being followed and there may have been more to the story than they initially believed. And it does have one of my favorite tropes that is in uh, cursed object stories where it's like, no, 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 this is what it is. And the way we fix it is by doing this. And it's like, no, what you did is just made it much worse. Like you unleashed whatever was holding it out into the world. Yeah. That is one of my favorite things. So yeah, like this. Mantles. I'm like, oh, the reason it's doing this is just that it was never finished. I just need you guys to watch it and do the voiceover. And once we do that, it'll be complete and then it'll be done. Yeah, no. just like in, in Casper when they like their unfinished business is finished. They go and they're happy. <laughs> the film can just float off on a cloud. All our success will just come back to us. Um, yeah, I love that. I love that reasoning. That's great. Let's just finish the film. That's, that's the only reason is like there was things preventing it from being done and now everyone's cursed, but simply this is the solution. Um, I really liked the story. I liked Montserrat as a character. And I think with all Sylvia Moreno Garcia stories, you know, she is so knowledgeable about what she's writing. Like I felt like I got a lesson in like film history and how to handle like silver nitrate and like all the, the things that can go wrong with it. And I had mentioned before when she did her like, 
masters she like wrote about eugenics so you know she's like bringing that in with this like nazi occultism angle like i'm like okay she like knows what she is talking about (laughs) Um, oh yeah but also just like fun to learn about like being a sound editor in mexico city i just really liked it uh i would put it between room temperature and fridge it was a very well told story it was very enjoyable um, and i had a good time with it i still need to read the shoemaker's magician which i think also has like a cursed film plot to it um by Cynthia Palayo, that's on my on my to read list. Oh, cool. But this was Silver Nitrate by Sylvia Moreno Garcia. Oh, cool! Yeah, I've not read that yet. I think she is fantastic. Um, mm-hmm. I like. I loved Mexican Gothic so much. I just inhaled that book. Um, so yeah, I can't wait for Silver Nitrate. Bring it on! Bring it! Bring it Unleash on. the evil into the world. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Give us your Nazi occultism now. <laughs> uh, so my second book is The Blackstone Chronicles by John Saul. And this one was published as six novellas in 96 and 97. And weirdly, like all the books I'm talking about are from the 90s. I don't know why. Um, <laughs> maybe that was like the last time there was a cursed film boom was uh in the 90s yeah. Yeah. and now it's 2023 yeah <laughs> just like that um <laughs> so it's set in the town of blackstone new hampshire which is where an old asylum is about to be demolished to make way for what else a new mall uh but the demolition stirs up a dark presence in the town so each novella is named after the cursed object that is gifted to a character by a shadowy mysterious figure who stalks the asylum you know this desolate empty asylum um so there's a a doll naturally there's a locket like a necklace with a, a clasp um there's a lighter that's shaped like a dragon there's a handkerchief and there's a stereoscope which is one of those like old-fashioned it looks like a binocular but i think you can put pictures inside to have a look it's it's like a very old-fashioned way of looking at a a photograph is what i understood from that um and yeah so each novella tells a complete story but the characters cross over between the stories and there's an overarching plot involving a journalist called oliver metcalf who's the editor of the local newspaper and he has his own traumatic past linked to the asylum. Um, so it's a really cool way of doing this. You know, if, it's like if you want cursed objects, you're going to get them. You know, each <laughs> each novella is very specifically titled after a cursed object and focuses on that um, pretty much pretty much exclusively. Um, and in the in the introduction, John Saul says that he was inspired by Stephen King's The Green Mile and the way that you could tell a serialized story over like a series mm-hmm. of, of novellas like that. Um, and Oliver Metcalf, the journalist in the book, he is kind of like the most Kingsian character because he has these like blinding headaches that come out of nowhere and then he has visions, um, which is quite a, a King kind of thing to do. Yeah. Had you had you ever heard of John Saul? I 
had. I actually think I might have read a few of these. Oh, cool. But it was a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. I completely <laughs> But when you said it. things, I'm like, I, I, I'm like, I, I kind of remember that. Okay. I'm like, the doll sounds, I'm like, that's right. They were building them all. Like, I'm just like, that- things are getting close <laughs> <back>. <laughs> Yeah. The doll one is probably my favorite. Like it's definitely because it's it's the first one, and you kind of it goes in hard, and it's creepy and upsetting, um, mm. and like the I really like the way that John Saul um, get like illustrates the history of each each object before the the story starts. So you get this flashback to the origin story of the object before it enters the lives of one of the townspeople. And it's really effective because it just absolutely crams the object full of emotion and trauma and sort of dark history. Um, And it, it, it therefore that, you know, whatever that character went through when they had that object, it then manifests in the life of the person who was gifted that object. And it's really like, there's a little girl who pretty much kills her pregnant mother because she finds out that she's going to have a baby brother and not a baby sister. And so that's why she wants the doll because the doll is a girl. Um, and that's like seriously disturbing. Um, it's a dark. Really dark. There's an elderly woman who gets crushed by a, an, a sort of an ornate old elevator. Pretty horrific. Um, yeah, there's like there's like a real sense of tragedy and impending doom as the stories go by where you're just like, oh my god, like this is what's gonna happen. It's gonna really fuck this town up. <laughs> I should have never built that mall. I should have just no, rest. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um Yeah, like but for me the so the big reveal at the end, I'm not gonna spoil it, but it didn't quite work for me. Um I think it was effective, but I still, I'm not like a hundred percent sure on exactly how it all fitted together, but that might just be me. I'll probably, maybe I wasn't paying. <laughs> I was too scared. I wasn't paying enough attention. <laughs> I think I'd probably, I would put it in the freezer because there is some really upsetting stuff. And there was some, like some of the writing is really spooky. It's like very atmospheric. Um, and yeah, I just, I, the way that in, it invokes that em- emotional, um, history for these objects is just really effective so yeah I, I probably would put it in the freezer that's the blackstone chronicles by john saul okay my final pick i went pretty literal <laughs> <laughs> that's what comes up when you google cursed objects that's all that comes up <laughs> this is the book cursed objects <laughs> strange but too Strange but True Stories of the World's Most Infamous Items by J.W. Oker. I really like these. Um, He also released a book, I want to say last year, about cryptids. Mm. It was like the United States of cryptids. So it was cryptids in America. And it was (laughs) divided into the different regions and the cryptids in that region. Um, But this is all these different cursed objects. And they all have um, their illustrated... Like he has one on the Hope Diamond. Nice. And Annabelle and Jeffrey the Doll. Um, but also James. Jeffrey the Doll. What's Jeffrey the Doll? Did I get it right? Robert the Doll. I don't know that one either. (laughs) (laughs) Who's Robert the Doll? (laughs) Are they all cursed? (laughs) 
I think uh-huh. Robert the doll is like the one that's pretty big and he's like in a rocking chair, like in an Airbnb. Oh, no. And we can say they hear the rocking chair move. That's um, no. that's like Women in Black. No, yeah, that's absolutely Ugh. getting into that territory. Um, but he also has like a, a chapter or a little like few page listing on James Dean's Porsche Spider and like the Rudolph Valentino ring, you know, um, uh. Tutankhamun's tomb. So it's a pretty expansive list of like what in popular culture and imagination we consider to be like a cursed object and a few lesser known, not quite as infamous objects. And there's a a whole section on graves, like tombs that are cursed and stuff. So it was pretty interesting. That sounds great. I I feel like he's tapped into something there. Like he's given us the the gift that we didn't realize we wanted or needed, but that's beautiful he's like he's got his blog right is it otis odd things i've seen that sounds familiar i remember when we did um one of his books my old co-host rachel mentioned that yeah he had a blog and he actually goes and sees these things himself like he's kind of a an avid collector yeah um I know for our Halloween episode, I did one of his books where he lived in Salem for like the whole month of October. And it was his like kind of travelogue memoir, Salem in October experience. I want his life. That sounds amazing. (laughs) (laughs) That's like, you know, those people are like, I'm going to go and live in Argentina for a year. I'm like, okay, um, that's amazing. I wish I could do that as well. I would like to pitch a story um, where I spend a summer in Fiji. And I just really like how... <laughs> yeah. It's really spooky. It's like. <laughs> <laughs> so needless to say, I would say that's pretty room temperature. It's more of a reference guide than anything. But it's a pretty fun read. And it's he's a funny guy. Like There's illustrations and little jokes and quotes. But... You learn a lot of fun facts that you can drop at a at a dinner party and be like, "Did you know?" That's Here's cursed. a cursed object back for you. So that is cursed objects by J. W. Oker. All of them. Uh, my final book is *The Woven Path* by Robin Jarvis. Um, and so this is so this is what he says. Robin Jarvis says that in almost every legend or myth there is usually a magical device involved whether it be a cloak of invisibility or an enchanted sword but you never know what happens to those objects when the story is over the weird museum weird is spelled w-y-r-d weird is where they end up all the supernatural trinkets are kept there safely away from the ordinary world yet the strangest and perhaps most deadly elements are the three old ladies who live there this book was published in 1995. It's the first book in the Tales from the Weird Museum trilogy. And it follows 11-year-old Neil, who moves into the museum with his father, who has got a job there as a caretaker. Um, but the museum is owned by these three ancient sisters who have some spectacular secrets that are only revealed in book two, which is called The Raven's Knot. Uh, and this book is like I can't overstate how influential this book was on me as just like a young reader. It's just so dark and weird and fascinating and sort of like meticulous. Um, you know, there are so many 
as a like as a trilogy it's perfect he just drops hints all over the place about what's going to happen throughout the series um and the thing that ties it all together is this place this separate collection in the museum which is filled with all these spooky objects um there are shrunken human heads there's the heel bone of achilles there's a black box containing the demon Belial, and there's a teddy bear who is wearing a pair of dog tags because he contains the soul of a dead American airman from the Second World War. Um, and so the first book sees Neil get sucked into a portal, sent back in time to the Second World War to help this teddy bear try to save his friends Um during the water during the blitz in london um and at the same time the box containing the demon belial gets sucked into the portal as well and it's just like runs havoc on london <laughs> ah. <laughs> yeah yeah it's so oh, unique wow. it's so weird it's so different it kind of incorporates a lots of different types of mythology and yeah i just like it's just brilliant i just love it i really recommend it I would probably say, I mean, it's, I mean, technically it's like nowadays you'd say it's in the middle of middle grade and YA, um, mm-hmm. but back in the day it was just called children's fiction, but that doesn't mean that it's not, you know, really quite scary in places like the demon Belial. It basically, if memory serves, it's sort of a bit of a fear demon. So it appears um, as the things that the character fears. And in one, there's one section where there's a there's one of the um, the Londoners. She she runs this like make do and mend class, which was like a wartime thing where you know stocks and of things were really low, so you just had to make stitch yeah. together blankets and all that kind of stuff. And she gets killed by the demon impersonating Adolf Hitler, um, whose claws become knitting needles. It's like really quite disturbing. <laughs> yeah wow it's very cool (laughs) (laughs) that was the woven path by robin jarvis and i would probably i'd put it in the freezer if i was a younger reader but grown-ups can probably handle it now (laughs) yeah like a someone coming at me with knitting needle hands would traumatize me (laughs) as a child for sure you don't Uh, need that you don't. And you really did stick to a 90s theme. I love it. I yeah, completely by accident. I love it. I must have been just a big heyday for, for cursed object stories. Yeah. Well, one thing I always like to ask guests on the show is for a chilling obsession. So what is something you've been enjoying in horror lately? I'm completely obsessed with a TV series called Yellow Jackets. <gasps> yes. Have you seen it? Yes. Uh, I'm okay halfway through season two so Mm -hmm. I'm not caught up but it's so good I love it Um, I love all the characters I love how it's you know a female driven narrative completely I love all the actors in it I think um, Christina Ricci has been just dying to have a role like this for about 15 years and she just absolutely kills it Juliette Lewis love her goes without saying that Melanie Linsky is amazing. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm just, I just think it's so, so fantastic. I love it. I feel like they did such a great job casting the younger 
actors and then the adult versions of themselves. And I also love that almost all the adult actors were working in the 90s. Yes. Familiar faces. Yeah, it's so clever. Yeah. Did you? So I thought, I don't know if they did this purposefully, but it's something that kind of tricked me in a very, in a nice way. In the very first episode of season one, I felt like they were kind of playing around with um, the audience's expectations of who the grown-up actors were playing and who their younger counterparts were. And so for the longest time, I thought that Jackie was going to be Christina Ricci. And so when it turned out it was actually Misty, it was just like, hell yeah, like so, (laughs) so great. (laughs) I think so. I think they do they did kind of like leave that open um well i watched it with my mom i i watched season one when it came out and then my mom came to visit me a few months ago and we watched all of season one and like half of season two before she had to go home and i just remember her being so stressed out she's like well who plays adult this character i'm like um maybe they haven't been introduced yet yeah she's like um we haven't seen that person in the future timeline i'm like well either they died or they haven't been introduced yet so those are your two options (laughs) i love that she needs to know (laughs) you will get your answer to that don't worry (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah i i love that show good pick uh but the second tradition we have on the show is to ask our guests for a final girl song ah this has been so difficult i've been absolutely killing myself trying to find just one can i have can i have like one that is sort of like a lyric like a lyrical song and one that isn't (laughs) sure um okay so if it's just like uh, a regular song it has to be edge of 17 by stevie nicks because it's magical I, love I feel her. like it's got the build up. I'm, yeah, like it's got that perfect like revving yourself up for something. Exactly. Yeah. It's just like it's so evocative. It's got such a specific mood to it. You know, it's sort of mm-hmm. it could be a bit spooky. Um, you know, maybe I maybe I'm fighting um ghosts or something. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> um and just Stevie Nicks, you know whenever you're in trouble just invoke the name of stevie nicks and she will come and help you yeah. i truly believe that she will yeah i do believe that she has that that vibe she knows she knows when you're in trouble okay this is my like naughty cheeky sort of like extra one um and it's blue monday by sebastian berm it's a cover of the or is it orgy who did the original i think like they did like a really rock version and then there's a, this is like a, a cover by Steve, uh, Sebastian Berm. And the reason I know it is because it was in a TV series called The Traitors, which was, I don't know if you guys have it over there, there yet, but it's, um, it's like a game show, but like the coolest, most horror infused game is show. one in the castle? Yes. One? Okay, then yes, it is on, I think it's on Peacock or something. And everyone says it's really good. So I will. Oh, God. You're, you're you're endorsing it too yes yes a thousand okay. times yes it's one of the best things i've ever seen genuinely like it is so so good okay. and it's like even though 
it's sort of kind of reality TV, and even though it's technically a game show, they get the perfect story. Like the the last episode is just so perfect. I don't know how they did it, but it's fantastic. Oh, okay. And it has the most amazing soundtrack, um, and it includes Blue Monday by Sebastian Byrne, which is just this freaking badass or- orchestral. You want to walk down the street in slow-mo, cut to hell, covered in bandages, torn clothing, you know, you survived, and that's your song. <laughs> Love that. Okay. So I will be adding that to the playlist and checking out is it the traitors or just traitors? Uh, the traitors. The traitors. Okay. Yeah. I will be checking it out. I have had people tell me it's good. And it did sound good. It's so, so good. It's like, um, do you guys have the game Werewolf? It's like a party game. Yes. Yeah. So it's basically that. Um, but on a, on okay. a big budget. And like over a period of weeks, you know, these people are stuck in this castle for ages. <laughs> and they get really <laughs> worn down. <laughs> Yeah, check it out. It's so good. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on here and talking to me about cursed objects. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. It's been so, so fun. It has been fun. Where can people find you online? Uh, I'm on Twitter at Josh Winning. And I'm on Instagram at, as Joshua Winning. Um, I can't, I'm kind of on TikTok, but not really, but you can find me on there as Goblin Author because I thought I would shake things up. Oh. <laughs> um, <laughs> and my website is joshuawinning.com. Sounds good. And then everyone should check out Burn the Negative for Cursed Object Goodness. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Books in the Freezer is a bi-weekly podcast. We post episodes every other Tuesday. You can find us on Twitter or X at Books Freezer Pod and on Instagram, Threads, TikTok, and I believe Blue Sky as Books in the Freezer. Show notes for this episode and all previous episodes are at booksinthefreezer.com where you will find links to all of the books mentioned in this and previous episodes, as well as links on different ways to support the podcast, including links to merch, affiliate links, and links to the Patreon. So if that interests you, check that out at booksinthefreezer.com. I'm Stephanie. You can find me on Twitter at Lady underscore Ganya. That's L-A-D-Y underscore G-A-G-N-O-N. Or on Instagram at That's What She Read. And that's That's with two A's. See you next time on Books in the Freezer. (laughs) 